Flashing sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The first announced witness of the 116th Congress is Michael Cohen. The guy sits in prison today for lying to Congress. And now we got John Dean. The last time I appeared before your committee was July 11, 1974, during the impeachment inquiry of Richard Nixon. Clearly, I'm not here today as a fact witness. And now coming in to enlighten the Judiciary Committee on Obstruction of Justice. I actually wrote a book about Mr. Bush and Mr. Cheney with the title, Worse Than Watergate. We would all do well to remember, if they can do it to a president, imagine what they can do to you and me. Imagine what they can do to regular citizens across this great country. And now, Stacey Washington. (laughs) Imagine, imagine, imagine what anyone with the power of the subpoena can do to regular old Americans. Mm, I don't know, like Mueller put people in solitary confinement, like, uh, you know, they yanked Kavanaugh and his entire family and even people who he'd been friends with for years and years and years who had nothing to do with politics. They drug them all through the mud. Oh, yeah, it's war. It's war, baby. You're not getting away from it. You cannot escape it. That's what they're bringing to you right now. So, uh, you know, it's not just buyer beware. It's look and be warned. And that is it's depressing, actually, but not really, because we know God is greater than all of that. And so welcome to the program. Today, we're going to be chatting with um, Liz Harrington. She's the RNC national spokesperson. She's going to join us to give us some more details on the Mexico-U.S. border agreement that, that we've finally come to a place where the Mexicans are willing to actually work with us. It's actually a success story, and I'm glad that we have it. We're also going to be taking calls the entire hour, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037 if you want to join the show. Um, I want to get into, we're going to, in just a minute, Representative Omar. So we've discussed this on the program just a tad before. We haven't had as many details, but now it's kind of unavoidable, the details, because she's actually had a campaign finance uh, violation lodged against her. Uh, one of the boards in Minnesota that covers campaign finance and public disclosure, they actually investigated her and found that she has to repay some of the money that she was able to claim. Now, in and of itself, this is not that big of a deal. If you're doing a political campaign and it's your first time and you don't have absolutely meticulous people working on the campaign, violations can occur. The reason that these boards exist is to look into irregularities and if there is an irregularity that's found, they fine you sometimes. Sometimes they just ask you to correct it. Really, it's, it's, this happens. So this, the, the story that I'm sharing with you and the perspective that I'm taking is not that she's a horrible person because she committed a campaign finance violation. The laws are so tricky and so myriad that you need experienced campaign people, your treasurer and everybody that handles anything to do with the campaign. They have to be really experienced And they have to be careful. And even careful, experienced individuals will sometimes have a slip up with that and have to go back and, you know, they look at it again. You pay the money that's owed if there is anything that's owed and then you're done. So the story here is not that she had a violation. The story is that she's actually, well, she was married to two people at the same time. (laughs) And beyond that, because apparently... I just, I'm, I don't, I'm not, I can't excuse the being married to more than one person at a time, but 
Let me just tell you the story and you tell me what you think. Again, if you want to get in the call queue to weigh in on Ilhan Omar, let's do it. Uh, the lines are open 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. So it's Representative Ilhan Omar. You know, she's a Democrat. She's from Minnesota. She's a refugee. She's, uh, you know, a whole lot of things. CBS Minnesota has summarized the history of her personal relationships and campaign finance board documents as such. Omar has two children with Ahmed Hirsi. Ahmed Hirsi is who she was married to in the early 2000s. Well, actually, she had two children with him, but she wasn't married to him. So let's start over. In the early 2000s, she and Ahmed Hirsi had two children. They didn't get married. So nine years later, in 2009, she legally married Ahmed Elmi. Now, Ahmed Elmi, you might be thinking that name sounds familiar. Um, Ahmed Elmi, Elmi is actually her brother. Now, she married, she legally married Ahmed Elmi. But then, after marrying him, she received a faith based divorce. So, a divorce in Islam, not a legal one but a faith-based one. The faith-based divorce is actually, that was finalized in 2011. Then in 2012, she reconciled with Hersey, the first Ahmed, Ahmed Hersey, and they had their third child together. She and Hersey then filed a joint married tax return in 2014 and 2015. And in 2016, Omar's lawyer and accountants found that her filings needed to be corrected. So a year later, Omar filed for divorce from Elmi, her brother. And then in 2018, she legally married the man she's been in love with the whole time. The man that's really, it's the, I don't think their relationship ever actually stopped. So why would she have married her brother? Well, she wanted to get him into the country lawfully. So last week, the campaign finance board voted to cite Omar for campaign finance violations, finding she had accepted speaking fees and had erroneously used campaign funds to speak at a political rally in Boston, among other transgressions. So Ahmed Nur Said Elmi is her brother. So the obvious question that the Star Tribune appears to have failed to have asked is, you know, who, first of all, is he actually your brother? Could you explain to us how she felt she could be lawfully married to her brother? Is marriage to your brother lawful in Islam? And for the purposes of the American legal system, since she was in the United States, is that marriage still legal? And has anyone looked into that? Also, why did she feel, feel it was lawful to file joint returns with the first man before her legal marriage to him last year while she was married to another man who happens to be her brother from 2009 to 2017? Again, she was married to her own brother from 2009 to 2017. A question that comes to my mind also is how is it that all of this went on and it was never uncovered, never discussed, nothing before 
she was elected to Congress. It seems like marrying your brother would be something that would be disqualifying for being elected to Congress. I don't care what kind of a person you are or what, or if you're a Democrat or Republican, it seems like marrying your brother and staying married to him for years and years and years would disqualify you from being in Congress. So you can find uh, a, a related timeline on the tax and marriage issue for Ilhan Omar at the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Um, and, you know, there are others who are looking into it, namely the Powerline blog and Michelle Malkin and others are actually paying attention to this. David Steinberg uh, and others are paying attention to this story even though the mainstream news media has kind of covered it, they covered the campaign violation aspect of it primarily. Uh, and I'm, this isn't, this isn't one of those things where I'm like, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. Look, you know, we mentioned this before on the show. I, I didn't have very many details. I looked online. I couldn't find much. So I, I, you know, you go with what you can find. But now that this campaign file, campaign finance violation has highlighted exactly what's happened with her. It's, it's worth it for us to say what happened here. It is worth it for us to say, how is it that a Democrat can marry their own brother and stay married to their own brother for years and years and years and then run for Congress and get elected? And, and so, the, you know, obviously, I think the fact that she's Islamic has something to do with the fact that it was overlooked. Um, that she's black, you know, that that's one of the reasons it was overlooked. We always see this huge double standard. We saw it with Jesse Smollett up in Chicago. He's actually, Google's actually using um, their algorithm to prevent him from having his name searched and associated with the actual crime he committed up there by falsifying records and filing a false police report for a crime that didn't actually occur because he paid people to do it. It was basically just a, a, a setup, a play that he put on. So Google doesn't want you to be able to search and find out about that. So if you haven't already found it or you don't know where directly to go look for it, just type in the name of the, the blog where the information is, then Google's not going to help you find out what Jesse Smollett did. He's black. He's gay. And, and remember, on the hierarchy of things, gay and black puts you way above any white person or any conservative black person or conservative of any kind. His transgressions have already been not just forgiven, but now they're being wiped from memory by Google. And Ilhan Omar, we should have been able to find easily out about this because the mainstream media would have reported it until the cows came home. It would be 24 hours of coverage on CNN and MSNBC, and all of the local affiliates would have picked the story up and ripped and read it. AP would have had it on there, the Newswire. Reuters would have had it up at the top of the banner. It would have been a story if a Republican who was white or Mormon or, or anything, any Republican at all, had married their own brother in order to get them into the country. Look at the way they treat uh, Melania Trump and Melania Trump's parents. Melania is an immigrant. She's married to Donald Trump. Her parents were given the same kind of chain migration visas that he is now railing against with good reason. Just because his family benefited from it doesn't mean it's not a bad idea. It's, it's not a... It's not an uh, idea that has ran its course and needs to be eliminated. So what's so funny about this is that this is just now coming up, but I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts it still doesn't get covered. As my auntie in, in Tennessee likes to say, that dog won't hunt. 
The dog I'm talking about is the story that she married her brother. It's not going to hunt because there's no way the media is going to allow their darling, Ilhan Omar, to have her personal affairs placed under a microscope for the rest of us to not just look at and be shocked by, but the jeering and mockery and the memes. They don't want it. But this is their baby. This is their chick. They're, this is their standard bearer with her headscarf of oppression on, talking about how this thing some man told her to wear because she's not allowed to show her hair in public because a man told her to. That's supposed to be the symbol of freedom. And she's supposed to be the symbol of the new Democratic Party, which is all Islam all day, unless it's tossing gays off of rooftops, and then it's not. And we're not supposed to be concerned that even after all this, and, I, and again, I stress that campaign finance violations are not actually rare, and the way you know it's not rare is because after all of that, she agreed to repay $3,500 of money that, you know, somehow was improperly allocated. And the fine for her misdeeds is $500. That's not exactly a king's ransom. That's why I say that the story here, yeah, she had a whole bunch of different things that were not compliant with applicable tax law. She had a bunch of stuff that was not exactly up to snuff with the campaign finance laws in Minnesota. But the big story here is she was married to one guy filing tax returns, claiming she was married to another. And one of the dudes, both named Ahmed, one of the Ahmeds was her brother. So can you see the headlines? Republican Mary's own sister incest America GOP equates incest to family values. GOP thinks incest is patriotic. There would be no end to the headlines that they would cook up and People would be camped out outside that Republican's house asking his current wife, how do you feel about the fact that your husband was married to his sibling? You know, what do you think went on there? Asking the kids, they would not stop until they destroyed not just the person's life who did the marrying, but also the, also the, um, the people who were involved. In, anyone who was even slightly involved with this whole story. Oh, and the campaign finance? That would also be used to paint this Republican as some kind of werewolf, a money grubbing, you know, demon who did could, could do no right, only out to shake down the, the little man. Just take a look around over the next 24 hours and see if you see this story anywhere in the mainstream media. Ilhan Omar married to her brother, falsifying tax records, messing up her campaign finance records. See if you see it anywhere. When we get back, we have Liz Harrington from the RNC. Stay there. Here's American Family Association President Tim Wildman. Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan, two Texans, support and believe in our ministry here at AFA and AFR. We know more about the laundry business than anything else. We know a little bit about a lot of things, but we know a lot about the laundry and dry cleaning business. They created a laundry detergent to sell to folks to support AFA. We just want to be able to provide a product that can be used by AFA to support the ministry. When you wash your family's clothes with Redeem Clean laundry detergent, you can take great satisfaction in knowing that you're supporting the vital work of the American Family Association. It's a unique way to increase your giving to AFA. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Learn more about the Redeem Clean products when you visit redeemclean.afastore.net.
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Recently, I had a wonderful conversation with a friend of mine. We were getting caught up with our lives, especially about our children. I shared with him that I had had the privilege of being with his two adult sons recently. Both of them are involved in ministry, and I shared how impressed I was to see how God is using these fine young men. After I shared that with him, my friend said to me, You know, Crawford, I could die and go to heaven today. I could tell he's a blessed and joyful man. For the most part, all parents listening to me today desperately desire that their children live out the values they've been taught. We want our kids to do better, every last one of us. I remember my dad saying that to me, I want you to do better. And on the flip side, disregarding what you have been taught can bring tragic consequences. Listen to these words in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. We can extract three observations from this one verse. Number one, doing what is right brings great joy to our parents. It brings joy to their souls, joy to their hearts. Number two, make wisdom your friend and apply it to life's choices. Wisdom is not your enemy. Wisdom says, I'd better not do what I feel like doing right now. Let me move toward doing what is right. Make wisdom your friend. And then thirdly, fools live by impulses and immaturely exchange wise counsel for convenience. Don't be a fool. Do what is wise and what is right. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Not everything that your parents tell you is meant to inhibit your life. Don't be a fool. Listen, learn, and live. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or urbanfamilytalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome back. Find out more at stacyontheright.com. You can um, see a lot of the shows that we've done. We have YouTube streams of those up so you can watch or just turn it on while you're cooking or doing dishes or gardening and you can listen to me opine about everything under the sun <laughs> and all of our fantastic guests like our next guest who has come on the show before and we she's quickly becoming a fan favorite with us Liz Harrington she's the RNC national spokesperson and expert and also she used to be with the award-winning Washington Free Beacon one of our very favorite 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 websites um, Liz thank you for joining us today Hey, thanks for having me back. Hey, um, you have all of the latest on this deal that the president was able to strike with Mexico on getting them to actually answer promises that they've made, some of them in the past, but they've never really actually put everything on the table and done what they promised. And now they're saying they will because the threat of tariffs is very real for them, jeopardizing 900,000 of their jobs, our jobs that are in their country. Can you tell us more about what has actually been agreed to? Sure. Uh, first off, uh, 6,000 of their National Guard troops in Mexico are going to be deployed to their border with Guatemala, which is a lot more easier to secure than our very long border because their border is only 150 miles. And so 6,000 uh, of their members of the National Guard there are – I mean, that's historic. That, uh, just that alone – that part of the deal is something that's never been done before, and Mexico was building up and, and getting it uh, legally through their country, forming this new National Guard, but it wasn't happening fast enough. 
And the president has been talking to negotiators from Mexico for months and months and months, and they they haven't stepped up to the plate. They hadn't done anything. And that's why I think the tariffs was so important to get them to the table. I mean, they sent a delegation so fast to D.C. Ham- to hammer out this deal, and it's absolutely because of the tariff threat. And the other uh, major part of the deal vastly expands the remain in Mexico policy, which is – so we don't have to accept the asylum seekers, which we know a big majority of them do not have legitimate claims under our asylum law. They're not fleeing uh, violence or anything. They're looking for economic reasons, which is not asylum. Uh, this, this enforces that in Mexico. So they can apply for asylum, but they have to stay and wait there rather than us taking them, giving them a court date, and they never show back again, and they have entry into the United States because of the loopholes in our laws. So the bottom line is these are two major parts. The president's also alluded to things that are more to come that they're not going to announce yet because they want to see how effective these first two things are and waiting for Mexico to, to sign on to the rest of the deal. However, these are two hugely important things. And the Democrats have done nothing. And so now we have a situation where Mexico is stepping up to the plate in a way bigger uh, manner than the Democrats in the House are, which is just a sad state of affairs when they really could come together and just fix the loopholes. I mean, we can settle our differences on immigration policy uh, later. They're just not even willing to address the loopholes now, which is clearly a crisis situation. And so absolutely the president is leading on this, and he's really the only person who's getting results. So what you've described is actually, these are actually huge concessions on Mexico's part. It's going to cost them quite a bit of money to make these things happen. But more than that, it shifts the burden onto them, which it, it honestly, Liz, I mean, commonsensically, if there was a huge, you know, say you have a huge piece of property and to the south of you, another family has a huge piece of property that's the same width as your own. And people are using their property to access yours, you're going to want to, you know, use law enforcement to protect you. But in the in the big scheme of things, you're going to be wondering, why would my neighbor to the south of me facilitate and, you know, people breaking and entering to my property, they would be complicit in assisting those people in doing that. And so what we're basically saying to Mexico is, they don't have to do anything more than what we expect them to do. Like what we're trying to do, which is they should seal their southern border. And then you know, we address the rest from there. Absolutely. And they're more than capable of doing that. And the fact is, all of these migrant caravans that are being organized, they're getting free, they were getting free passage through Mexico, and nothing was being done. And they're absolutely, I mean, this is a long, treacherous journey. It's a thousand miles. And the fact is, they had to go through Mexico to do it. So, the fact that we have now gotten them to agree uh, because we're making them have skin in the game with this tariff threat. I mean, negotiations works, but you have to be able to uh, walk away from the deal, right? And you have to be able to walk away from the table and implement real consequences. I mean, all these people up here and the establishment in the Hill, they don't seem to understand how the real world works, but the president does. And we needed something to happen. I'm writing an op-ed right Right now, I'm doing research on this crisis. It's absolutely horrific. And you know who's exploiting it the most? Known criminal sex offenders. They're trying to blend in with these migrant groups. Just last week alone, 
in El Paso sector, we had at least four cases of people who had been already convicted of child sex offenses, been convicted of rape, who are now, who've been deported years ago, and guess what? They're back because they're trying to exploit the asylum loopholes in with these caravans. And luckily, these are the ones we know about that have gotten apprehended. But that's just in one week alone, in one sector. I mean, it's absolutely out of control. And they, again, the Democrats claim to care about the children. Where are they? They do not care. They do not care about closing the loopholes and fixing this crisis, because if there wasn't a magnet, this would stop immediately. But they refuse to do it. So I, when you talk about sex offenders, like, so, so, you know, Liz, I understand being ideologically tethered to one group of people. I I happen to ideologically believe that the Republicans are better at governing than, say, Democrats. But there would be a place for me where, let's say the Republicans were in response to the invasion in the South, you know, firing on, uh, you know, migrants who are approaching the border, they're unarmed migrants, and they were firing on them. That would be the place where I would have to separate myself from the Republicans and say, I don't agree with that. So illegal immigration is still illegal, but I don't agree with firing on civilians. I would be able to say that and, and I, I, it wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate. It wouldn't be a problem for me. What is it that makes Democrats unable to acknowledge that women and children, little girls and little boys, are suffering, not just on the journey, but because they're being sexually trafficked into this country and sold into human slavery, that that is something that is being facilitated by leaving the border open. And that even even though they want looser immigration, there has to be a place where they can just say, you know what, I'm against that. Why, why can't we get them to at least admit that that is wrong and it's dangerous and it's happening? It's a great question. And it's just a really sad state of affairs because they know it's happening. And yet they don't, I guess they see, you know, anything that the president does, they oppose. And it's all obstruction all the time or it's endless investigation. But they do not want to give the president a win. But the fact is, it would be a win for the country. I mean, we, it would be a win for, for children. It would win, it'd be a win for uh, citizens of, who are not citizens, people who are not citizens of our country. I mean, this is absolutely a horrific nightmare. I mean, even the New York Times is calling it a nightmare in an editorial that was released on Monday. And yet, they, where are they? Just not there. I mean, you know, we know what's going on there. The sex trafficking, the renting of children. Mm. This is another example. The Border Patrol agents are now encountering kids who they've seen multiple times before. And you know why? Because the Flores Agreement, which is a liberal ruling from the Ninth Circuit Court, only allows us to hold children for 20 days. Well, now they're showing up weeks and months later because cartels are renting these kids out to do the thousand-long-mile journey again. This is horrific. People are dying in rivers in these caravans. I mean, it's absolutely insane. It's out of control, and yet... Democrats just blame the president for throwing a temper tantrum, as Nancy Pelosi said. What is she talking about? They're the ones who are acting uh, like children and refusing to do anything because they can, because they don't want to work with this president. I mean, it's completely it's a complete disgrace and it's shameful. So just just help me out here. So I saw the story about the kids being rented, but so you're saying that. 
So you have a kid. They make this horrible journey. They get, they stay in custody for 20 days or however many days it is, which that also is almost like torture right now because of the overcrowding. Then they get released into the country with these people that aren't their their family, not not related to them. And then the child right. is then turned back over to someone who takes them back out of America so they can do it again. Yeah. Absolutely. These are transnational cartels that are operating on both sides of the borders. I and mean, we haven't even gotten uh, mentioned the vast amounts of drugs that are being um, caught. I mean, that's just what, what we're uh, getting at these ports of entry. But, I mean, the flow of drugs on both sides of the border is out of control as well. But, yes, absolutely. The Border Patrol, I heard from an administra- senior administrative official that they have seen upwards of 4,000 cases of recycled children and that is four thousand so So this is there's nothing we can do by law there's nothing they can do because this ridiculous court legislature order prevents any prevents officials from holding them for more than 20 days i mean it's absolutely out of control and the Democrats do not care. They do not care. We could solve this problem in a minute. We could at least give the Border Patrol their, their $4.5 billion that they asked for over a month ago. Nothing. Congress is just refusing to act. So that's why at least we have a president who understands this crisis. He's doing everything he can day in, day out to give the Border Patrol the resources they need and to solve this problem. But, I mean, Mexico's stepping up. Where are the Democrats? So I just want to make sure I'm because this is one of the things that when we when when people like you take time to come on the show and you give us this kind of information, it's shocking. It really gets people upset. I, I usually get some messages afterwards like, oh, I can't believe, you know, that th- this is what's going on and what can we do? Obviously, one thing we can do is support the president, and his agenda. We can refuse to vote for people who oppose the president's agenda on Um, you know, immigration, and it's his signature key issue that in the economy, and he's trying to deliver on it. And we can also say to to other people that are asking, well, you know, why are you so bigoted? Why you hate immigrants? What 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 do we what do you say? Like, you're so good at summing things up and giving like a, a one or two sentences. What do you say to someone who their heart is in the right place? They feel like people should be allowed to come in. But what you've just described is this is third world movie type stuff. It's not it's not supposed to be the reality in the greatest nation on earth that this is happening to people. The, right. The compassionate thing to do is to not give criminals more power to exploit human beings, to exploit our laws. And I mean, they're profiting off of this. So the compassionate thing to do would be to solve this crisis. So people I mean. They don't, it's not their fault. They're being told, they're being encouraged by these liberal activists on one hand and then cartels on the other. They're being encouraged to come. They're being organized to come. They're being promised that they can get here through the loopholes in our system. And that's what's creating this vast magnet that's showing that people are showing up that actually legally they're never going to be allowed to be admitted because they do not meet the standards of the asylum laws. And in the meantime, cartels are also using it and infiltrating these caravans, infiltrating uh, and profiting off of it. And so the, the compassionate thing to do is to solve the problem and end the magnet, which is these loopholes in our system, these, these uh, absolutely insane 
court orders that we're living under. That is the compassionate thing to do because it would stop this insane flow. We cannot process people who are actually seeking legitimate claims of asylum, who we want to help. I mean, we can't just take floods of 100,000 people and process them. It's just we're not capable of doing it right now, and that's why you see the conditions, and they're running out of shelter space there. I mean, they're absolutely on the, at the breaking point. And so the compassionate thing to do, give the experts on the border, our brave men and women who are risking their lives every day, not only give them the resources they need, but stop the magnet, stop this insane flow, because it's only helping criminal entities and criminal actors. That's all it's helping. It's not, it's not helping people who actually uh, are seeking legitimate asylum. So I think that's awesome. People should head over to YouTube. You can actually clip out portions of stuff that you like. You could clip out this, this uh, interview with Liz Harrington, RNC national spokesperson, share that on your Facebook page. You could share it with a friend. You could email them the link and say, look, this is why, look, she's, 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 this is, this is not something that you're against. You're not afraid of immigrants. You're not sharing this information because you've got a problem. You're talking about true facts, things that are happening to people and we want to stop it, not because we don't want people to come here. We want lawful immigration, but we don't want children trafficked. We don't want women trafficked. And we don't want criminal organizations sending drugs and people over the border that would do us harm. Um, and you've just perfectly encapsulated all of that. And I really appreciate your time today. Liz Harrington, RNC National Spokesperson, thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Talk to you again soon. Um, she's going to have her op-ed up so you can just check online for that. Uh, she's a fantastic writer and I've always enjoyed reading her work. And now it's great to have her in this role advocating for common sense policy that's coming really on the heels of Americans writ large saying that this is what we want. We, we want common sense at the border. You know, what's funny about all of this is that we've actually increased a number of lawful immigrants who are coming into this country. So every year it's a little more than the year before. So it's not as if we're not bringing people in legally. So the idea that the Democrats are not supporting closing the southern border because we don't have enough legal immigration, that's just not true. And we can do better. We, and we, we will do better. But only if and only we decide to do what's right at the southern border to prevent human beings from being treated like plane tickets, train tickets. I mean, can you imagine renting a child? Can you imagine what these kids are going through? All right. When we get back, we're we'll talking to you, 866-963-2037. Stay there. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book, Uncommon Marriage. Sometimes God opens a door that is very unexpected. About a year after we adopted Jordan, the adoption agency called and told us about a mother who's going to deliver a baby in the next couple of weeks. Since they didn't have anyone in place to adopt this baby, they thought of us. Of course, I wanted to pursue this unexpected opportunity. Before we knew it, we were preparing for number five. You know, when God surprises you in life, it's important to be close to Him to be walking in His presence, knowing that unexpected surprises in life can become blessings. So remember not to drift away from God, or you might miss His blessings for you. 
Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Family is an institution set forth by God, one man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com Miki Addison. My challenge to you was to evangelize your children and to disciple your children and to give them the truth. Because if you don't do that, then we have a culture that's waiting in the wings to disciple your kids and to make converts. And so I really believe and I expect the Lord to really set some people free today. The Marriage, Family and Life Conference is coming June 20th through 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Fox on Faith with Lauren Green. While the U.S. is engaged in a trade war with China, watchdog groups are warning of China's religious persecution. And enemy number one is Christianity. China has done the math. David Curry is the founder and CEO of Open Doors USA, which monitors religious persecution around the world. China, he says, is a growing concern. In the 30 years since the Tiananmen Square massacre, Christianity has grown by leaps and bounds. And that's why the communist government is running scared. And so what they're trying to do in a lot of ways is to bring Christian faith under their boot by monitoring them, by making lists, by deciding who can go to church, who can't go to church, making sure that they know who all is going to church. And the technology-enhanced persecution doesn't stop with Christians. China has the ability to do this, obviously, against Muslims, against Jewish people, against any number. Uh, You could just see where this might go. For Fox on Faith, Lauren Green, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I can understand to a certain extent, you know, if you're a politician and your brother runs a, a garage or something like that, there's no need to disclose. But the problem is, is that corruption is being globalized. And what that means is that foreign governments and foreign oligarchs, Eric, are looking to recruit the family members of politicians because they believe by striking commercial bargains with them, helping politician families become rich, that they're gonna get favorable treatment. And nobody does this better than the Chinese government. Uh, and Joe Biden has been a major recipient um, of that kind of largesse from them. In the case of the Ukraine, uh, Hunter Biden joins the board of Burisma, a troubled energy company in Ukraine, in the spring of 2014. It's important for people to know that he had no background in Ukraine. He had no background in energy policy. Uh, What I think he had was a father who was point person in the Obama administration on USA dollars flowing to Ukraine. Uh, Basically, we know from financial records that Hunter Biden was getting $83,000 a month from Burisma really basically doing nothing. Um, And the Chinese at the same time uh, struck a $1.5 billion private equity deal with Hunter Biden's small private equity firm called Rosemont Seneca Partners. Again, Eric, he had no background in China, really no background in private equity, but his father, as with Ukraine, was also Obama administration point person on policy towards China. Wow. So that was a quick summation. Welcome back to the program from Peter Schweizer, 
Um, he is also the author of a few books, but namely the most recent one, uh, Clinton Cash, which is it's such a heavy lift, hard to get through, but it's worth it because it catalogs every single wrongdoing by the Clintons. They've gotten away with so much dirt. They, they should have stock in dirt. If Dirt were a company, they would be the CEO and uh, CIO, CFO, and they'd be the board, the whole board. It would be the three of them, the Clintons. Um, so he's just outlining how Hunter Biden used his father's connections as vice president to get himself a posh job over in the Ukraine with no experience. But the connection that was needed was that he was Hunter Biden and he could pick up the phone and call his father at any time. And his father spent lots of time hanging around with Barack Obama, looking in mirrors, looking out of doors, um, slow jamming the news, hanging out and look, trying on each other's aviators. And he knew that, that the Ukrainians knew if we, we want a direct line to the presidency of the United States, Hunter Biden, let's hire him, pay him a good amount of money. Then we have access. That's the kind of corruption that's being spread around the world by politicians here in this country who aren't above selling this country out. They're not above selling us out. And when I say this country, that's you. That's me because our tax dollars let them do what they do. Our votes put them where they are. And then after they've gotten our tax dollars and they're in their positions, they're just like, hey, open season for me. Let me well, how can I enrich myself? All right. So I, I saw this whole thing about the State Department um, issuing an, a directive that you, couldn't, you cannot fly the um, – you can't fly the American flag or the pride flag on America or some drama like that. And I, I accidentally closed out our call screen software thingy. Um, so I, the, the, the State Department, basically, they don't have a problem with pride flags so much as they have a problem with any other flag besides the flag of the United States being flown over our embassy. Now, here's, here's my problem with it. First of all, these people are like a mafia where they feel, they literally feel as if they have the right to say, you know what, um, if you don't like the pride flag, we're going to rake you over the coals. So they have this litmus test. They ask you about the pride flag and see what you answer. If you answer properly, then everything's fine. If you don't answer properly, then, you know, woe be to you. How dare you think you're going to, you know, have your own opinion about this. So I want to listen to this audio. The pride flags are a flying. This State Department lady, she knew she was going to be asked about this. She was prepared. But what I find so disturbing is the nature of the questioning. Listen to the reporter as he's 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 it's like almost threatening the way he's talking to her. Uh, and by the way, you can call in 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Take a listen. It's number four. The LGBTQ flag on yes. the embassies. Mm -hmm. uh, can you explain the position of the State Department on that on both inside the embassies and on the outside? Sure. I think uh, Pride Month that we're in right now was celebrated around the world by many State Department employees, by many embassies. Um, the secretary has the position that, uh, as it relates to the flagpole, that only the American flag should be flown there. But he, of course... Um, uh, as he said in his congressional testimony, respects the dignity of every individual. And I think all of you can do a simple, easy, easy Google or Twitter search and see the pictures of uh, uh, members, embassies and members, uh, ambassadors, people of, uh, of the Foreign Service celebrating pride um, throughout the world. The displays that we have seen of the LGBTQ 
barbecue flag, the colors, mm -hmm. the pennants, banners, mm -hmm. th those are not in violation of any kind of edict or order, no. are they? So no. what, 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 are, what are this idea that there's some kind of revolt among diplomats and the embassies? Are there, is there anything that these are in violation? I mean, I, I'm not quite there's sure. There's no, vi no violation that I'm... No. So, people, so as long as it's not on the flag pole that flies the American flag, the secretary or no, and nobody else in this building has any issue with it. Is that correct? That's correct, sir. Thank you. So as long as it's not on the flagpole, nobody here has any issue with it. Correct? In other words, I dare you to say you got a problem with it. Because we'll take you down like an antelope in the wild. You're going down if you don't agree with us that every person has dignity. How does flying the flag equate to people having dignity and why don't black people have a flag that's my question black people are missing out all the little black activists who are running around and everything they do is about people being black and getting respect for this and that they're missing the boat apparently flying the flag for the pride month celebrations it's the do or die moment you either fly it or you get raked over the coals you get you get what for for not bowing down to what they consider to be one of their sacred cows it's abortion and all this pride garbage and every time you hear me say pride see a little angry person with buck teeth and their fingers up in the quote finger quotation and if that makes you laugh um thank you for laughing i'm i i enjoy your merriment that's a part of what i'm here for so let me just <laughs> we're gonna go to the phones in a second uh 866-963 2037-866-963-2037. So just in case you're wondering where the Catholic Church stands on this, because they've been really wishy-washy on a whole bunch of stuff, they're coming out strong again. After the bishop made his statements about people not celebrating Pride Month, here comes the Vatican. A Vatican department has issued a sweeping denunciation of so-called gender theory and affirmed the principles of human dignity, difference, and complementarity. Quote, in all such theories, from the most moderate to the most radical, there is agreement that one's gender ends up being viewed as more important than being male or female sex. This is a Congregation for Catholic Education writing in, on June 10th in a new document entitled Male and Female, He Created Them. The effect of this move is chiefly to create a cultural and ideological revolution driven by relativism and secondarily a juridical revolution since such beliefs claim specific rights for the individual and across society. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, as the little one says, thank you next. I'm ready. I'm ready for more. I'm ready for the Vatican to continue to put out truth on this kind of stuff. They said um, that they there is a need to reaffirm the metaphysical roots of sexual difference as an anthropological refutation of attempts to negate the male female duality of human nature from which the family is generated. Come on. That's those are those are fighting words. Let's do it. All right. Tyrone in Oklahoma. Thank you for calling the show today. All right, thanks so much. Um, my deal is uh, we ought to use what the progressives use, their terminology. Uh, I remember Obama always talking about this is not what America is about. The mm -hmm. flag is enough on its own. It represents freedom. It represents speech. It represents inclusivity. It represents different ideas. We don't need a added flag there. Uh, uh, that is not what America is about. America is not about coercion. America is not forcing people to bow down to what they don't believe. America is not about forcing someone to say a man is a woman just because they say that. America is about free speech. It's about ideas. It's about freedom. It's, it's not about oppression. 
and try to say that that's what we represent. We don't represent that. That is a fallacy to even think that they have to be inclusive. They talk about hate speech. They're the ones being hateful because they hate America, and that's what I had to say. Mm, Tyrone, perfectly put. Thank you so much, and have a great afternoon. He's right. Uh, The flag that needs to fly over the embassies is the American flag. And guess what? This isn't about hating anybody, but not everybody in America believes in celebrating pride, as they call it. Quote fingers, buck tooth person, fingers in the air. See it, see it in your mind. And if the person is comical, there you go. <laughs> you should be giggling right now. <laughs> this is a ridiculous situation in which you cannot win. You cannot win with these people because flying the flag really isn't enough. You have to actually tell them that you agree with this garbage. And if you don't agree with it, then you're a bigot, you're a homophobe. In other words, you hate or you're afraid. Nobody over here is full of hate and nobody's afraid. In fact, it's quite the opposite. People in America are standing up because we're sick to death of being told what we can and cannot think and believe, how our rights are subjugated to those who have whatever going on with themselves, and how in any case, no matter what you believe, if you're a Christian, you're wrong. No, no, we're not wrong. Not only are we not wrong, we don't have any desire to be characterized or have our speech truncated or twisted in, in, in ways where they can try to make it seem as if we're saying one thing when the truth is all we're saying is everyone's free to celebrate whatever they want, honestly. But to force government entities like state departments and embassies to kind of bow down and acknowledge this so-called movement, it's not right. It's not the right way to go about doing this. Um, Andy in Georgia. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. Oh, looks like we lost him. Okay. Um, Lewis in Virginia. Thanks for calling the show today. I realize I'm doubling back to a previous subject, uh, Omar Elam. Mm-hmm. Some I have read is in addition to it being illegal in this country to marry your sibling. I understand it's also illegal to marry just for the sake of getting somebody into the country um, for immigration. And True. I haven't heard that mentioned uh, lately. You, you so are so right. And that law also with what she did. So yes. To add that. Thank you. Thank you, Lewis, for bringing that up. And, and so my problem with her marrying her brother and not getting called out on it is obviously the moral implications um, but the, the secondary, like, why would she marry her brother to subvert our immigration system? No wonder she's for illegal immigration. She's a participant in that. If she got her country into the her brother into the country through marriage, then that is her participating in illegally immigrating people into the country. It's it's um, it's immigration. Well, subversion. She's breaking the law. That's what I'm saying. Um, Kay in Texas. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. Thank you for talking to me. Sure. Regarding the children in Mexico, I was listening to the lady saying that they're being rented. Mm-hmm. They're being rented from the cartel who is abducting them from many people. Wow. So they're kidnapping the kids. They're, the people who are bringing them across may or may not be kidnapping them. But there are a lot of them are kidnapped children, and I can give you the name and phone numbers of the Mexican missionaries that we have that are giving me that information. Wow. 
So the answer here is obviously they wouldn't be doing that if they couldn't just cross them into the country under this asylum scheme and if our border wasn't open, right? Right. Right. The drug cartel is making a lot of money. Unbelievable. And and what can we do to stop it? Well, obviously, the easiest thing would be for Congress to come together and just say, this is enough is enough. We're putting an end to this. Kay in Texas, thank you for calling and for the work you're doing with the missionaries down in Mexico. Thank you for that. Um, we need the, the work that Kay is doing in working with the missionaries to try to put the, it's the other side. It's the, the caring side, the part about America that no one wants to talk about the work that Kay is doing and others. Um, I'm, I'm, I am so wanting to be strictly factual here. There've been many times we've talked about immigration on the show. We have railed against what has been going on. And I just want to put our slides back up here. If you're new to the program, check out these slides on uh, the YouTube stream or online someplace where we have the show goals of president Trump's immigration reform. It talks about attracting, retaining the best and brightest, protecting the American uh, worker modernizing our ports of entry, increasing security and speed to fully secure the border, um, resources for 100% scanning, stopping drugs and counterfeit goods, quicker trade facilitation, self-sustaining revenue, and enforcing the law. And the president isn't about this because he hates immigrants or hates immigration. Um, We have a global race for talent, and we should be looking for the very best people to come into our country, not people who can't contribute. And I know Democrats have made a business out of saying that anybody and everybody should come, but that's just not the way immigration was set up to work into this country. We need the best and the brightest, and we will continue to help the South American countries through USAID and other means. Billions of dollars we're pumping into their countries. We can't do it all. All right, if you're leaving us now, God bless from the heartland. I'm Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm also the Second Amendment Foundation's Journalist of the Year and Twitter extraordinaire at Stacy on the Right. God bless. If you stick it around, onenewsnow.com coming up next.